0: Hello, 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 and welcome back to Water Cooler Talk. I want to take a moment to, before we get to the episode, to thank all of you who sent amazing emails and messages after our last episode. Thank you to those who sent words of encouragement. Thank you to those who shared their own stories of burnout. I'm so proud of this community we are building and I'm just cherishing this journey we've been on. Because of you, my decision on wanting this to become my full-time career has become so, so easy to pursue. So thank you and I appreciate every single one of you. But, To today's episode, my father, Daniel Schultz, joins us in the studio to share his opinion on happenings in our little world here. It was a conversation we had recorded before the show went on hiatus, so it was really fun to be able to look back and listen to a productive conversation we had months ago. You know, sometimes you don't remember all the details of the conversations you have, so it's nice to revisit that conversation. One of the things I've come to love about doing the show is each episode is like a conversation in time, locked away in a vault that I can visit whenever I need. Especially now having an episode with both parents, you know, 50 years in the future, I can have the ability to fire up Spotify Spotify, you still better be supporting the show in 50 years, and listen to a conversation with one of my parents. Two conversations that are so beautiful and vulnerable. I think that's something special that not a lot of people have the opportunity to do, so that, that's it's another really cool perk of being able to do this show. But to today's episode, we built our conversation around discussing the pros and cons of panhandlers, How performance-enhancing drugs have changed not only the landscape of sports, but also of livestock, and how to find agreement among disagreement. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is Water Cooler Talk, episode 28, titled Deep Disagreement. Enjoy! This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not. Because they're real. (laughs) Well, we're back again at the beginning. We had a little test, a little <laughs> test. <laughs> just to see if I was compatible with being on the air. Yeah, but now you know you can change. If you said something you didn't love, you can change it. All right, Dad, welcome well, welcome to the show, Dad. Daniel Schultz, you don't want to be called the Father. We've already established in a previous recording, so we'll just call you Papa Dude. Dad is just fine. All right, Dad, are you ready to jump into our first news story of the day for the second ready. time? I'm ready. This is from Fox 17 News, Nashville, U.S., Fed up Bellevue man makes he can get a job sign, stand next to Panhandler. Tyler Blair became so tired of seeing Chad Fox panhandle on the side of Highway 100 in Nashville for days upon days and years upon years that he decided to spend his free time standing next to Chad with a sign saying, He can get a job. Tyler says, I think it's just more of a built-up thing where every day it builds and it builds and it builds. He's been given help, he's been given a truck, he's been given a place to live, he's been offered jobs multiple, multiple times and turns them down. I work very, very hard, too hard to just see people hanging out asking for money for nothing. I straight up told him, I was like, you can get out of here. No one wants you here. I don't want you here, and you can leave. In response to Tyler's actions, Chad responded that the situation got a little heated. If you want to express yourself in a sane way, do it, you know? I'm completely alright with that. I don't like getting threatened, though. Chad has drove in a forklift for a time, but became stuck once again, not in the forklift, but in life, and had no idea what he wanted to do in life. He says he wants his next job to be something he can do for the rest of his life and won't feel pressured in quitting because of boredom. He states, I don't want to hop around from convenience store to fast food to a different job every six months. In the end, Tyler says he doesn't want anything bad to happen. He just wants Chad to get a job, and he will continue to stand there as long as Chad continues to panhandle. See, the good thing about being a recorded podcast is I can say my joke again, and people <laughs> think it's the first time. But anyways, it sounds like the beginning of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> uh, Dad, do you believe panhandlers should be given the freedom to do as they do i don't agree that panhandlers should be given open rein to be
1: able to go wherever they would like i think that chad is in a different situation he's been given quite a few things a car a place to live numerous job opportunities and he's decided not to take those jobs because he just doesn't want to be burdened down with something that he doesn't like he does have the opportunity to work take a job make money, um, supply for himself, and then during that time maybe look for the job of his future that he wants to spend the rest of his life with. Just because he feels that he doesn't want to work a menial job that he doesn't like doesn't mean that he can't find something just to supplement him until he does find that job. There's other people that are on the streets that are panhandling that actually need it more than he does. And by him being a person that can work, he kind of throws a bad light on the other people that actually do need to do that and beg on the streets and get money just for a cup of coffee, a place to live, some food. Whereas Chad Alpsley is a hardworking guy who can, puts a lot of effort to go out on the street
0: every single day, the same corner to beg. He could put that same effort into working a job. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to the homeless panhandlers. And I think Chad is definitely an outlier in this situation, making, you know, people that actually need the help look bad because he does have, and, and maybe now we don't know Chad's whole story. We just know it from this one article. So maybe he does have like a disability or something that, you know, doesn't allow him to get a proper job. But from what what this story has told us and the information we have, yeah, we can say, in my opinion, I think Chad is kind of an outlier when it comes to being a panhandler, being, you know, homeless on the fact that he does, yeah, give kind of that negative light to people that actually need the help. People often have that this conception that, you know, I'm going to get scammed by this guy or this guy's just going to take my money and buy drugs or alcohol or they're not going to use it to, or yeah, that, you know, as you mentioned in our previous recording here, that you know, they may just be driving up in an Escalade, parking that around the corner, and then going out because they can make you know a few hundred dollars a day just yeah. by asking for people for help. Yeah, um, I worked
1: at the airport in St. Paul, Minneapolis, and I was a ramp manager in the parking ramps, and there were actually some people that were you know panhandling at the airport, and they would take the shuttles back and forth. And I was talking to a gentleman and he made between three and $500 a day just begging outside of the airport. He decided that it was better than having a job. He could work when he wanted to. And he made enough money to be able to support himself. And he had a nice apartment that was within walking distance. He was able to pay his rent. He was able to eat good food, have good clothes. Uh, He just decided that that's what he wanted to do. And so he would ride back and forth on the, on the tram between Terminal 1 and Terminal 2 at the airport there and stay outside of some place until they shoot him away and then go to another place. Fortunately, however people want to look at it, panhandling is not illegal.
0: I think that case is a rare occurrence. I don't think every single homeless person or panhandler I don't think so it. either, but there are people
1: like that yeah. that make it harder for the people that actually need the help mm-hmm. to be out there on the side of the street. Another example I can give you is a few blocks away from here, there is a woman that had a sign that said abused pregnant, um, got kicked out of my house because of, of the pregnancy. And she was getting the money on the street. And I watched her walk across the street into a, into the parking lot, pull up her shirt and take off, uh, take out a, a baby pillow that was strapped onto her stomach to make sure sh- her
0: look like she was pregnant. Yeah, I totally get that there are, you know, bad people in the world, but I don't think that should quantify the entirety of who a panhandler, or a homeless person is. You know, I had no. the opportunity to, you know, meet with the homeless in Seattle and talk to them. And it's a real big uphill climb to try to get a job and try to break out of homelessness because, you know, to get a job, you need an address, you need, you know, now you need email because a lot of it is done over the internet. They don't have phones. Obviously, if they're living on the street, their hygiene isn't going to be the greatest to be presentable. And a lot of them have, you know, some sort of disability. That's, I mean, I didn't look up the complete facts, but I know a good portion of the homeless have some sort of disability that may affect that process to get a job. Sure. And there's not enough outreach people to go out
1: there and help them. There's homeless shelters. There's Places like the Dorothy Day Center that, and sharing and caring hands that will be able to feed them, but they only have enough space for so many people. You know, the government is is very good at giving out money to certain groups and certain people, but it doesn't seem like they're able to send out enough people or man enough phones or to be able to help the people and inform them on what there is and what's available to them. There's 10 cities that are popping up that people are choosing to live in. Basically, the police are leaving them alone to fend for themselves. And there's not a lot of people that will go in there and, and share information with them. There are those few amazing people
0: that go in there and want to help them, but not nearly enough. Why do you believe people look down upon people in that way specifically in a monetary way you know there's people that look down upon people like chad or people that are homeless because they don't have the monetary funds to be on the same level we are why do you think people do that it's the culture that we grow up in we see or were
1: raised to be hard workers and support ourselves and and a lot of these people that are complaining are people that are driving by in their cars that have worked a hard day and made their money and, and see people that are out begging and they don't have the time of day for them. They, they don't understand. They've never been to that part in their lives where they've gotten fired and can't find a place to live and, and things have been taken away from them. They've never been there, so they can't understand Maybe some of these people are trying the best they can and just can't find jobs. After I came off of my neck surgery and had to find a new job, I was turned down at over 500 different places because of my age, because of the lack of, of college. Uh, a lot of these people probably had a job or were working someplace and came right out of high school to work a job and were laid off or just haven't been able to find the right job for themselves to support them. And that's the place where they end up. So I think a lot of the people that are looking down on them have never been in that situation. Or there are people that have been in that situation that have pulled themselves up and, and made a better life for themselves
0: that think, well, they should be able to do it too. That's a good point. I mean, I know we'll talk about like common ground later but yeah it's tough to when you're driving past a panhandler on the side of the road it's very hard to understand that life in like the five to ten seconds interaction you may have with that person. Yeah, and every I think everybody makes a snap
1: judgment. They see stuff on the news or they read stuff online and instantly they're going to make a decision. Most of the time it's a bad decision. It's a decision that they're not even going to look at that person. They feel if they don't look at them, then they don't they have don't to deal exist. with them. Yeah. And it's just easier to, at a corner, just to keep your mind on looking at everything else except for them. Whereas that person, you know, Maybe all they need is a little eye contact and a smile to make their day, make them feel a little bit better about themselves and maybe that one smile is the thing that
0: gets them to do something that they weren't normally gonna do and, and, and a job comes their way. I know even in my experience, like sometimes when you know I'm driving and I see someone, it's like, it's not, I don't look down upon them and maybe the deeper meaning is because of that, but it's to me it's like, I know I'm in Can provide this life for myself. And I almost feel bad. I guess that is looking down on someone to feel bad for someone. You know, they're in this situation. I'm in this situation. And I think most people, and even myself in general, sometimes it's like I know the energy to help them get to my situation will be a ton. Like that uphill climb that, you know, many of those people in Seattle mentioned to me, it's like it's a lot to get out of homelessness. And I think sometimes it's tough to see someone on the side of the road and be like, Well, I could either just pretend they don't exist or I have to pretend or I have to acknowledge their existence and figure out, am I a bad person for not helping them or what? Like I said, you make a
1: judgment when you see somebody sitting on the side of the road with their hand out or a sign. You make that judgment at that point, and it's not about being a good human being or not being a good human being. You're a human being, so that decision about... How you feel about yourself at that time might mean you reach into your wallet and and, and give them a couple dollars, knowing that it could be going to a fantastic cause or, or, or a bad cause. But it's up to you at that time to either make that
0: decision to help them out or to not look at them. I think you made a good point when you said like even like a smile is a positive thing. I think a lot of those people just want someone to acknowledge that they exist. And I think that's one of those things that makes a difference. And yeah, you acknowledge that I existed. I feel like I actually have a purpose in this world, so I have a purpose in getting a job and finding a better life for myself. So I think that's even an important thing, just acknowledging that these people exist and they are humans, just like us. They're just maybe having a bad luck streak. And like I said, there's a
1: lot of programs that are out there to help them. It's it's not 100% up to us to be able to bring all those programs to them. Sometimes it's, it's a give-give situation where they actually have to come and ask for it too. If they don't want it, there's no way that you can just force things on them. They have to want to be able to get out of that situation and want to have a better life for themselves. Otherwise, it doesn't help someone out there that's busting their ass to try to help these people, to help someone that doesn't want the help. They should be able to help the people who want the help and be able to help them get to a certain place. And maybe those people that are helped can go back because they know what's going on and help the people that don't want help.
0: Yeah, I think when you look at, you know, there was this research study done by GLS Research um, in 2013, the Union Square Business Improvement District in downtown San Francisco hired GLS Research to help paint a basic picture of who a panhandler was. The research found that a typical panhandler in San Francisco, this is specific to San Francisco, is a disabled middle-aged single male who is a racial minority and makes less than 20 five dollars a day despite panhandling seven days a week for more than five years. So yeah, when you talk about people needing to realize that they need help, if a lot of these people have some sort of disability or mental disorder, they might not even realize that they're in a situation where they can ask for help, if that makes sense. It does. It does. And everybody has to remember too that, you know, panhandling is not
1: illegal. You know, the Supreme Court came down in I think two thousand fifteen and said that um, holding up a sign and and asking for things is within your first amendment rights and so even though panhandling and begging is legal you know i I think in most areas that aggressive panhandling and harassment of people that walk by you is illegal in fact you know you don't have a lot of police officers that are going to sit on corners and arrest people or push them away just if they have a sign and they're asking for money, so you're always going to have, I think, especially in warm weather states, they are going to have more people moving there, and being on corners of interstates and being on corners of by restaurants that people are coming out of quite a bit. Especially malls, you see a lot more people because, you know, you you have people going and shopping, mm-hmm. and then coming out and and seeing these people, and a lot of times. Do you feel guilty? You just went and spent a couple hundred bucks on a pair of shoes or
0: jacket or something and you feel bad because you have money and they don't. It's not, it's not a huge deal to give, you know, some loose change, a few bucks. Like in summer, I'll have like a thing of water in my backseat to hand out or like your leftovers from food. It's like, that's not going to completely change your life if you give those things away. But, you know, as you mentioned before, it's like, yeah, that can completely change that person's life. You know, if you are someone who doesn't want to do that, maybe every time you see a panhandler, just put aside a dollar and then at the end of the month, give that to a food bank or something. Yeah, that's a good idea. Giving it to something that helps these people without having to feel guilty about giving it to this person because you maybe feel guilty about it.
1: It is. And you can, you know, there's so,
0: like I said, there's so many organizations that
1: you can give the money to that actually goes out and reaches out to the homeless, to the people on the streets, that they can give them medical. They can give them things that they actually need, you know, toothbrushes, toothpaste, deodorant, things that they normally won't buy for themselves, clean socks. Yes, they say socks is one yeah. of the biggest things they yeah, want. Yeah, because doesn't help that... People drive by them and will yell things at them and treat them like a 2nd class person. Nobody knows from day to day. They could get fired at their job and and have no money to pay their bills. They could be far in debt, and what happens the next? They're going to declare bankruptcy and maybe have no money, and they're going to need assistance. So you never know from day to day if that can happen to you. Or what this person has
0: gone through that's out there begging. Yeah, I think that's a good point and kind of my final words on this is, yeah, you never know what another person's situation is. So it's always better to just be kind and, you know, lead with optimism and not just look at someone on the side of the road and be like, oh, yeah, they're just going to buy drugs or alcohol or you know, they're going to shoot up later. Just be like, you know, it's a dollar. And, and kindness goes a long
1: way. And if you decide to make that, give them a dollar or a couple dollars, once you give them that money, it's not your money anymore. Yeah. It's their money. If they decide to go buy a pint of booze, or if they decide to go spend it on drugs, or that's not the reason why you're giving it to them in the first place. You're giving it to them out of the generosity of heart because you want to see them have a better life.
0: I think when you give, you shouldn't be giving because you feel guilty, but because you just want to pass on good energy and good hope.
1: Yeah, and you know, kindness and a good smile, and a buck or two bucks or whatever that might be the difference in that person's
0: life. Yeah, there it is. Uh, I would like to welcome to the show my father, Daniel Schultz. Dad, you talked about finding honesty in your life in your little pre-show response. I talked about being more honest in my life recently in the past few episodes. What's important about bringing an honest demeanor into this world? I think that understanding yourself
1: and being honest with yourself is a huge thing in everybody's life. Trying to understand the person that you are and the person that you're becoming and to look at how you fit in society and other people's
0: lives is really important. Speaking of being honest, um, let's be honest right now. I mean, yeah, I'm your favorite son. That's that's fine with me. <laughs> uh, and then something like I'm always curious about, I'm always curious about, not from a place of jealousy, just like fascination, like what are other people doing at my age? What were you doing at 24? 24, I was... Just married, just had moved. I
1: believe we are still in the apartment. I'm not sure about that. I'm sure your mother would know quite a bit more about that. But I was, you know, I was working for a restoration company, cleaning up after fires, um, a job that I truly enjoyed and wanted to be at the rest of my life. I was heavily involved in playing sports, specifically softball, and I, I enjoyed my life. The job I had was very physical, so it kept me in good shape, and I, I thought I had the world by the tail. Did you have that
0: uh, mustache that in the photos? Um, I had a very cheesy peach fuzz mustache. That's something. Those photos are something. They are. Did, did you feel, you know, you said you had the world in front of you kind of by the tail. Did you feel comfortable in where you were and the decisions you were making? Felt very comfortable. Now looking back of it,
1: back at it, I don't think that um, some of the decisions that I made were the correct ones. I, at a point, I, I think I put myself before my family, and I regret doing that now, but what happens, happens. Thirty years later, I look at who I am now, and I understand more of who I am, and more about other people, and more about how my decision process can affect other people. Back then, I didn't care. I had a specific view on people. I had a specific view on who I was and what I was and and I stuck with a group of friends that had the same views of me. Now that I've had quite a few years to mature my opinion upon
0: Uh, what I feel about people, the judgments I make has dramatically changed. And what was that cause, which is getting around new people? Was it starting a family? It's probably because how I've grown as a human being and the friends that
1: I have met down the line, the friends that I've kept. I have amazing friends that I've had all of my life. Um, One of my best friends grew up Um, A couple doors down, was born a few days after me, and, you know, 54 years later, he's still one of my very best friends. Met people a couple years ago at work that changed how I felt about society and changed how I felt about ethics, and those friends are so valuable to me because they don't have a mean bone in their body that I know of. And being able to discuss with them and listen to their views has
0: literally changed how I've felt about my whole life. You know, obviously, one day I would like to be a father. I'm sure many of the listeners here would like to be a father, the male listeners. Um, I don't know. Maybe in the future, females can be fathers. Who knows? I guess, yeah, I guess they can. They can. That, was, that was wrong of me to say. But if you could impart one piece of fatherly advice to our global audience, what would that be? If I was to give any fatherly advice... I would,
1: the advice would be to be able to listen and understand everybody's view. It might not change your opinion, but there's always two sides to everything and that you should be able to listen and understand other views that are given to you. Like I said, it might not change your opinion, but it just might. It might make a big difference in how you
0: go about your life and how you make your decisions. Finally, to wrap this up, I asked the same question to mom, but now it's your turn. (laughs) Is there anything you regret not having done as a parent while we were growing up, me and Josh? I guess probably spending more time with you together
1: and separately. We did go to baseball games and soccer and basketball and to all the sports, but I don't think that we put, I mean, we kind of gave you guys enough room to make your own decisions if you wanted to do it or not, but I think that maybe we should have spent a little bit more time with you going over everything and making sure that that's actually what you really like and not something that you thought you had to do. Joshua played in the band and he was very good at it, but we never made him practice when he had to you know it, certain things that you did in sports that you were incredibly good at that you could have went on and and you decided not to i mean it's there's a lot of things that a father should be able to do but the biggest thing is to be able to listen to his children and see their view of everything and then make your plans together instead of pushing them into something or not pushing them into something
0: and i think and i mean Mom said a very similar thing when it came to time and spending the time better. So I think that's a good message to anyone out there is time's important and time with family is important and time, taking the time to understand that, you know, even though this person is half of you, that doesn't mean that they're part of your beliefs or share the same things that you want or share the same dreams, that they're going to have different things and that's okay and taking the time to kind of find out what those things are and being accepting of them.
1: It is, and it's, it's an also an important point that no matter how hard is it it is, you can't bring your personal life outside of home into the home. You have to be able to somehow separate that and start anew once you walk in that door and, and not let your job or whatever happened outside of home affect your decisions in the house. So coming home really crabby, which I did quite a bit affected the way that you guys were raised. Something would happen at work or I wouldn't be happy about something and it changed my views. It didn't allow me to actually listen
0: and conduct myself as a better human being once I Came into the house. And I think that's important to find that separation between the professional and personal. And that's like one of the reasons I'm moving on from the industry I was previously into the new industry is because it was just affecting my personal life too much. I would take things that I would take the stress that was in my professional life, and I was being like, "Oh yeah, this is now affecting my personal life and f- affecting those relationships." And I don't want to continue that behavior, having seen that behavior. I- totally agree with that. It's it's something that you have to consciously
1: work on. Whatever you have outside of the house, or whatever you're doing has to stop once you come in the house because that should be a totally different environment. Mm-hmm. That should be a peaceful, gentle place with loving people that you can communicate with and do things together.
0: I don't think it has to like entirely stop because I think, you know, talking about it with a significant other family is important. But I do think it needs to stop in the sense of it shouldn't affect that time. Yes, yeah, and I
1: think my job and and a lot of other outside things affected me when I came
0: home. It, it changed, like I said, it changed the way I parented and and the activities that we ended up doing well speaking of family time at home let's talk about drugs and lambs and livestock something (laughs) we're very familiar with in our suburban (laughs) lifestyles this is from fox news ohio award-winning lamb under investigation for performance enhancing drugs a grand champion lamb is under investigation after veterinarians at the logan county fair in ohio discovered a foreign substance in the animal system that might have given it an unfair advantage over its other lamb competitors Tests from the Ohio Department of Agriculture revealed that the lamb was given a diuretic, which is banned for competitive purposes as it makes an animal's muscles feel leaner, dehydrates livestock, and may contaminate the meat. Uh, A diuretic in humans helps rid the body of salt and water by making the kidneys release more sodium into the urine. Thirteen-year-old Hawkins Maryhugh, whose duck won grand champion at the fair, said, You don't want animals with a ton of drugs in it because it might not be safe to eat and everything. That's why it's pretty important to have good quality stuff from a 13 year old he knows what he's talking about he's a 4-her the ohio department of agriculture will will report its conclusions to the county fair board who will then determine whether the handler said to also be a young 4-her little wasn't a big fan of those kids in school they're always (laughs) talking about their animals all right we get it uh and if the animal will be able to keep the grand champion winning awards Uh, But, Dad, as they say in the strange article news game, the last line of the article is always the best. However, regardless of this investigation's outcome, the fate of the lamb has already been sealed, and it will be sent to slaughter once the performance-enhancing drugs have flushed out of its system. So that lamb better uh, go on more benders, or else he's going to get slaughtered. So obviously, we, I mean, I don't have a lot of knowledge in livestock um, and PDS use, PED use in livestock, we could have a whole episode, obviously, like on chickens and steroids, but that's not what we're here for. No, we are here to talk about something we both have a little more knowledge in, and that is (laughs) baseball. But before we get into that, I want to ask you this just about PEDs in competition. Do you think there is a place for PEDs in competitive competition? And I say that from a place just like of curiosity. The whole idea of competition is about finding that edge, to be better than the other team, the other person. You know, we had like the US swim team with their scientifically designed swimsuits to make them faster. We have fighters who will cut their water weight before a weigh-in so they get underweight, even though they're not that's not their actual weight. The way hockey players you know, tape up their sticks so the puck comes off of it at like a different way. Why are situations like that okay and justified where people PED use may not be.
1: Well, I guess there comes a lot of questions that go with that. Um, Sooner or later, we are cloning animals. Do we take a championship heifer or lamb and we clone them because they were a championship? You know, they won the blue ribbon, so we're going to clone them and they come back either better or stronger than the previous one because it's the same exact thing. Is that going to be legal, illegal? Because there's already things being done like that. They're already using drugs inside of our our cattle and our sheep and, and everything to make them bigger and stronger so they produce more meat. Or they're a stronger one that they can put out the stud to make better cows, to make better meat, or to make more championship animals. The same thing is done in horse racing. You're given these animals maybe not to run but to make a stronger, genetically stronger animal to use as stud or to use as having, you know, the babies to make better animals. So it's, it's being used all over. Where does it stop? Maybe they should just have competitions for induced animals compared to non-induced animals. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with somebody giving their animal vitamins or performance-enhancing drug to make them a stronger animal. But if they're going to put it in a competition, people should know that that animal has been given this or this animal hasn't been given that.
0: And that's always the thing about food production that I think most people don't understand. It's like we're trying to feed 7 billion people in the world. I think it's seven. Still at $7 billion? Is that Something people? around 7. there. Seven point three, But there is a need for food. You know, we don't always have the space to, you know, we don't have space for farm fields, for cow grazing. Or I want to make it very clear, like, I think, like, giving chicken steroids and having these gigantic chickens that can't even walk is very wrong and having these yes. chicken houses. I think there needs to be more natu- like visibility to be like, if I'm giving you this animal something, this is what I'm giving it. This is what could happen. Everything's on the table. But I do think, yeah, we need to make the animals we eat slaughter this lamb. You know, is going to get slaughtered. I think we do need to help those animals become bigger so... We can have one animal feed 10 people instead of one animal feeding one people, and then we need 10 more of those animals. Because when you talk about like cow- cows, like cows by burping produce tons of methane, mm-hmm. and we need all those cows to feed all these people. So if you're like, we want to cut down on meth- methane production by cows, well, that would mean we would need less cows. So if we have less cows, we have to make those cows physically bigger, more meat on them, or being able to produce more milk because there has to be like a middle ground to that. There has to be like a middle agreement to say, if we want less cows, that's fine, but we also need those cows to produce more. Yeah, and there's a big give and take. There's a lot of alternatives
1: to meat. Um, You have the Impossible Burger or you have plant-based hamburgers or plant-based food that...
0: Is a substitute, but there's not a lot of companies that are out there that are doing that. That's true, and I guess I was wrong in that assumption to say that if we get rid of cows, we need them to produce more. Because yeah, you can fill in that lost but then you pr- know production and, and with there there with that there's with else. that there's
1: give and take because if you're going to go to all plant based or all different, you're going to have to have farms that are specifically growing certain things to make these hamburgers or make these um, to make cheese or to make whatever that you have to make, um, there will be more farms, which is still going to be tractors and still going to be fertilizers, and, you know, for mass output, you just can't have natural farms. Sooner or later, they are going to be genetically engineered farms that are putting certain drugs into the water. To make
0: things grow faster to meet supply and demand. Well, yeah, and I think that's the important thing because, like, everything we're talking about here, it's like it sounds like it's a sci-fi movie. Like, oh, we're drugging our animals to make them bigger. But that's just natural part of life. Like, this water has fluoride in it, and that's not a natural thing in water, but it's added for safety. So it's like. These things sound like they're science fiction things and we're producing these massively huge animals, but it's, it's a very common thing that just doesn't sound very common. It sounds like, oh yeah, that, that's, not, that's not the best, but everything in our life is somehow affected by a change to make it more effective to use. What are your thoughts on, this is a little bit away from the topic of PEDs, but it was an interesting thought, is like, what are your thoughts on lab-grown meat? I guess since I
1: haven't really
0: looked a lot into the subject, I don't really
1: have an opinion. Right off the top of my head, it would scare me because I would want to know more about it before I'd make that decision. You have a lot of things that are lab-grown now. You have synthetic diamonds and and synthetic this and that. Um, probably in the future, there's gonna be a huge business with lab-grown meat, And but right now it sounds i would say icky to me, but it was something that I would probably like to look into and
0: and see what it's all about. Yeah, I don't think I could give a valid opinion either because I just don't know enough about it, but from what I do know, it sounds, yeah, if you're producing something in a lab, you're putting in things that aren't naturally there, Mm -hmm. so it's kind of a 50-50, half a dozen there, Baker's dozen, half a dozen here, but... It's something like that. Something, something. (laughs) But it's like you're still... Introducing things into this lab meat quotations on that that wasn't naturally there. So it's, you know, kind of a similar thing. And I may be wrong in that because I just don't know enough. Well, I'm sure if, if too, if it's you put three hamburgers
1: by the side, one's an impossible burger, one's just a regular beef burger, and the other one's a lab grown, if they have the exact same um, buns and lettuce and tomato and onion and maybe ketchup on it or whatever you want to put or mayo, uh, if, if you were to taste each one and they didn't tell you which one was which, I think it would be really very hard to find out which one is the lab-grown or the natural or the impossible burger. I've had all three with each burger on its own right there wasn't a major difference. Mm-hmm. And if you were told that you know, the Lab Burger or the Impossible
0: Burger was the regular beef burger, your mind is going to tell you, oh, okay, that's fine. And, and you're not going to taste a major difference. I mean, I've been trying to, with my diet, go a little more vegan and a little more healthier in that aspect. And it's not a huge difference. It's it's not. And, and you know, I've, I've tried a portobello burger before, which I would order again.
1: Uh, I, I do like the Impossible Burger, and I, I did like the Portobello Burger. Um, and to me, it, it's a healthier thing. I, I wouldn't do it every time. I still enjoy a hamburger, but who knows? You know, yeah, In, I mean, in the it's, future, um, it, it's a time right now where people can experiment and get, get used to things.
0: Yeah. If it's better for the world, better for our environment, better for our animals, like I can Make that change. It's not. Yeah, and kill I, would, me. I would rather right now
1: try different things and get, you know, maybe get used to them, than have it forced on me in ten years when companies stop maybe producing hamburger from beef or, or and you're forced to do something and you're not going to like it. Maybe now is the time for people to actually go out since there are restaurants and and I fast think food burger. places. Burger
0: King has the Impossible Burger now,
1: or just about everybody does. Uh, White Castle has it. Um, where we live, Ivy has it. There's, there's a lot of other places. I go to a place called the Tamarack Tap Room, which a friend of mine
0: has an ownership in, and they serve it, and it's, it's amazing. Well, let's get to our sponsor of today's episode, McDonald's, who <laughs> doesn't have an Impossible Burger. No, I'm just kidding. But speaking of McDonald's, let's get into a little more into like the PED discussion. I don't know how there's a connection there, but there might be. Hey, anybody can find a connection. Uh, going back to like winning, being the best. What about that feeling? We've both played sports. We've both been in competitive natures. What about that winning feeling or being the best may make someone compelled to change the chemistry of their body that could potentially negatively impact their future? Like we know steroids can have negative impacts, but people still use them. It's about being the best. It's about winning. It's not about being
1: mediocre. People that engage in steroids and PEDs are the people that want to be at the top of their career. At the end, it turns out to be all about money. The better you are, the top of a field that you are, the more money you make. If you're on a good team and you're just taking vitamins that the team supplies, which all teams now do have a list of what they can and can't take and do supply their players with vitamins and items that they can take. So if a player from any of the major league um, sports get caught, it's something outside. So they can't really blame the team because the team does supply them with what they need, what's legal. With and legal PEDs. Yes. And and there are legal ones. Yeah. There are ones that that each major league people say that is okay and they say that some are okay because it does give you an unfair advantage over some other people. My opinion is when it comes down to it, it's
0: all about being the best and in the end, money. I think that's a very good point. I think when people think about being the best, yeah, it's that fame, fortune, money, whatever I want in the world. And not everyone can reach that naturally. Someone like LeBron James, who is a naturally gifted athlete. I don't know if you've ever seen tape of him in high school, but he's like two feet taller than everyone else, a hundred pounds more than everyone else. I firmly believe he's never taken an illegal PED steroid, what we think of, in his life, but he's just naturally gifted, so he's naturally going to rise above, and now, oh, look, he's super famous, he's super rich, everyone, you know, likes who he is as a person mostly, and some people are like, I want that, but I know I don't have those natural abilities, so I'm going to use this PED to get that, because I want what someone like LeBron James has. Yeah, and uh, I'm
1: sure LeBron James spent hours and hours upon hours in the gym,
0: shooting. Well, yeah, uh, but working out. I mean, out. I could I could do that as well, but I'm I don't have the body or the frame. Yeah, of some LeBron people James. some
1: people fortunately are are blessed with an incredible body with a high metabolism um, to shed off fat. Other people might have the ability but have to work ten times harder in order to keep a certain weight. They can go to the gym and they can shoot baskets and they can practice on drills for hours and hours and not lose a pound because of how their body is. And you can have other people that, you know, are, are naturally born with that ability too, that can go into the gym and, and shoot balls from wherever and, and and not have a problem with them not take a drug in their life, eat healthy, and just be an amazing superstar. But you have the other people that see that and want it, especially younger kids that want to obtain the same status, make the money, be a champion, and they look at it and they know that they can't get it by hard work. And so they seek other things to make them a better and stronger person.
0: And I think those you know people that you mentioned are kind of in that mindset of, if I can even experience that for 10 years, it's worth giving up 20 years of my life kind Mm -hmm. of deal. And they're in that bargaining of, they think it's worth it when, I mean, anyone who is rich or famous will tell you, it's not, I mean, it's good. Like, I'm not gonna sit here and say being rich is bad, but you don't find that internal happiness just from the money and the fame. Mm -hmm. That's something you have to figure out yourself. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, people are like, oh, if I get here, You know, maybe if I struggle with girls and I take steroids, get super big, get super good at sports, girls will like me. Well, there's a little more to that than just the money and the fame. Sure, there'll be girls attracted to you because of the fame and the money, but they're not going to be there for the right reasons. And that's not someone you want to build a relationship with. Exactly. But I think most people that are, you know,
1: striving for that and taking the PEDs to get to that point aren't really interested in a side life per se, you know, they're in pursuit of the goal of being the best, making that money, and then everything that happens around that is just either the greatest thing in the world or the worst thing in the world.
0: I mean, I do I do think that, you know, they're definitely after those things, but I do think there are deeper things to them. Like if I want to be in the best in the world, why do I want to be the best in the world? What is my motivation for that? Maybe it's because growing up I felt like I didn't get enough attention, so I want the attention to be on me, or you know, I had problems with girls, so now I want to be the best in the world because so I can get those girls. I think, you know, there are people that are focused on, I want to be the best basketball player in the world because I love basketball, but I think there's also other things. Like, what did basketball provided me? It provided me a community of people that thought the same way I thought, a community that I felt safe in because maybe I didn't have that at home. So I think there are other aspects than just the main, I just want money because I want money and to be the best. There is. I just,
1: you know, I have a different
0: view on a lot
1: of people in sports. Uh, I I grew up thinking that you get on a team and you spend your whole career with that team. If it's a winning team, great. If it's a losing team, well, you know, you strive for your best to make that team better each year. Um, I have a problem with people jumping from team to team to team because I feel that it's about them and not about the team. And I know it's a business now. It didn't used to be. It used to be people that were good and excelled in that sport, making it to the majors to, you know, to live out their dream. And they cared about the community, and they cared about being on that same team. And all the players were the same way. Everybody wanted to stay on that same team because that became your lifetime friends. Uh, you did stuff in the offseason with them. And Um, now it just has become a huge money thing for the the best athletes going from team to team to see how much money they can get and I think at that point that's where you know the PEDs come in because people are chasing the almighty dollar they want to be the best in the sport and sometimes they just can't be with natural talent I, I would very much doubt Wayne Gretzky used PEDs he was just born and he worked at being a phenomenal athlete chances are today He wouldn't be, you know, that great of athlete um, because of his size, and he would probably get pushed around a lot, but he would still be a phenomenal athlete in the sport. And I, I just think that nowadays that's what's pursued. Money's pursued, fame is pursued, being on the championship and getting the championship, and everybody seems to think that you have to win the championship in order to be that elite player, whereas sometimes you can play for the crappiest team and you're a better person you might not make the money that someone makes but you're you're there for a reason these people drafted you these people have given you that people fall in love with you and that supports you you know in this in your home stadium and i think that says a lot for that person compared to the person that jumps from team to team to team
0: especially for baseball when the salary cap was introduced it definitely yeah, completely changed the way people looked at the sport as a player's standpoint Mm -hmm. because, yeah, it became a business. It was like just became like a regular, you know, nine to five. I'm going to get in the position I feel that I can best succeed and be comfortable with. And there was that loss of loyalty, but I think that's something that I think our generations definitely differentiate in is that loyalty factor. Like, yeah, you want to be loyal to a company your whole life, but my generation – me specifically sees that as, well, they may not be loyal to me, so why should I be loyal to them? Not like in yeah. a give-and-take type situation, but like I know if I was working in an office job and they fired me, they would replace me in a second. Yeah. I could give 40 years to that place, but they'll replace me in a second. So I don't feel as loyal to that company because I know I'm just a cog in their machine. And that's I think that's the way that... Uh,
1: Sports has changed quite a bit because management has changed in that. And you fill the seats in the stadium by winning, not by losing. And you can have the best guy in the world that's on a losing team, and he's not going to fill the stadium. And if you can get five other guys for that one guy from another team and then build from that, you know, I, I don't blame the business and management for doing that because it is a business. It's, it's no longer a small sport that's all about the people now it's a big business and it's it's about making the ownership money building bigger stadiums getting more people in there paying players more money which you know some of them deserve some of them don't you know it, it's one of those things that it has become you know, about
0: the person and not the team. Yeah. Well, speaking about just the players in general and people who deserve big contracts, Uh this year we had obviously the MLB Hall of Fame inducted Mariano Rivera, Roy Holiday, Edgar Martinez, and Mike Mussina. But once again, players such as all-time home runs leader Barry Bonds, seven-time Cy Young winner Roger Clemens, weren't inducted because of issues surrounding PEDs. When it comes to those people do you believe it's fair to remove to remove those who have may have used peds in a professional sport from the records and the history of the sport no absolutely not Uh, when it comes down to it barry bonds still
1: had to swing the bat barry bonds still had to hit the ball over the fence did drugs help him of being stronger sure it did but um, bonds was also a seven-time mvp did he do something that made him better than everybody else? Sure, but he still had to work at it every single day. Taking steroids doesn't mean that you can just take a pill and it makes you instantly stronger. What it does is it gives you that extra stamina to work a little bit harder and increase your muscle mass. And, and, and it's still, when you have big arms, just uh, swing that little tiny bat, it still takes coordination. You still have to see a 100-mile-an-hour fastball come at you. And be able to have timing and swing and hit the ball over the fence by taking drugs it just doesn't make you the best you still have to work at it the same thing with roger clemens he pitched and he pitched and he pitched and might it have made him a stronger person and given him better legs to get more momentum and a stronger arm sure it probably did probably gave him a better chance of throwing the ball harder but he still had to find the strike zone doesn't help if you are really strong and are throwing the ball over the backstop, you still have a tiny little area that you have to throw into. You know, all the strikeouts that he had and the years that he played, I, I don't. You know, if they get a little advantage by doing that, then good for them. It's They still have to put in the work just like anybody else has to.
0: I do think it's ridiculous that they haven't been inducted into the Hall of Fame yet. I think it's so stupid of the MLB to say, we're just going to forget the steroid era. We're just like, that's part of your history. You may not love it. It may not come across as the greatest thing in the history of your sport, but it was part of what your sport was. And I think you need to recognize the people in that. You know, I mean, multiple players have talked about, like a lot more players were shooting up than is reported. Yeah,
1: and if you're going to take everything and... You know how it comes at you there is no way that you can compare babe ruth back in his day to barry bonds in his day different technology different bats different balls um, you had a pitcher that couldn't throw the ball 100 miles an hour back then you were looking at the 60s and 70 miles an hour and you were looking at you know a thicker bat that would make the ball go farther today's stuff it's it's more difficult you know the the ball is harder people are throwing the ball faster a curveball back in the fifties and forties, and is so much different than a curveball or a, a split or fastball or whatever is being thrown today. There's so much more technology and so much more people. I could say, you know, you could put one of the pitchers today back in the forties throwing that hard. He would he would have struck out twenty people every single game.
0: Yeah, I remember Satchel Page threw real hard, and yeah, he dominated. Yeah. But putting
1: Satchel Paige, now he would get ripped so bad. To me, it's really hard to compare ages of baseball. Yeah, records and stuff are are one thing, but it's really hard to compare technologies. You have people that probably they don't last as long in sports as they did. Um, Sports is taken way more seriously. There's a lot more money. Back when Babe Ruth played and Lou Gehrig, they played the baseball season, and the rest of the season they were out partying. Nowadays, you have people in sports that it's a full-time thing. They play their season, and when they're done, they take a couple weeks off, and then they go back to working out almost every single day to stay in shape, to be the best. You can't play in the majors of any of the sports without
0: being good and keeping keeping yourself in the best shape possible. I do agree, and I think you know, I'm fine with Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens being in the Hall of Fame, put an asterisk next to their records, whatever, I don't, I don't give a crap. You know, even, like, Lance Armstrong, like, still, like, what, the seven people behind him also were caught doping. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is unfair, and what they did was wrong. You know, I think it's unfair to take something that's illegal to be better than everyone else, and then it's like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, better than you, not because... I mean, obviously, you still need the skill, But, you know, as you mentioned, you know, you have better recovery time. You have better stamina. So I think, you know, that's obviously wrong. Put an asterisk by their name. But it is part of the sport. You know, an important part to be like, this happened. We didn't love it. But these were good players. I mean, Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds would have still been good players with or without PEDs. They would have been. Barry Bonds, I mean was, what, stealing 40 bases a year in Pittsburgh before he started bulking up. Mm-hmm. So he was still a good player. It just obviously changed to a speed player, to a power player. But these would still been—I guarantee both of these guys would have been in the Hall of Fame if they didn't use PEDs. Sure. And, but it's just inflated numbers now. Yeah, and you're, you're going to look at, you know, Alex Rodriguez is going to be, you know, on
1: ballots and stuff like that, too. And— you know even though he was suspended and even he still had to do I mean he leads the he led the majors he has 25 career grand slams that's way more than anybody else there still has to be people on base for him to get up he still has to swing that bat that ball still has to go over the plate or over the fence so the person still has to do what they're doing so there's to me there's the drugs help him maybe be stronger to muscle the ball over the plate on something it might but but it it is unfair
0: to say I get I get the argument that people have because like you know Alex Rodriguez he hits a home run but then someone else hits a pop-up to the warning track and that completely changes the trajectory of someone's career and I I get that discussion that people have but yeah it's there's still you know players that played in an era where they were the best in that era and I think they deserve some sort of recognition for being better than players that may have also used steroids. Sure, that I understand sense. that. That's that comes back to the you know, the records of
1: each era. Babe Ruth couldn't compete in this era. So there's no way that he would have had that many home runs. Same thing, you know, with Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron was, you know, overpassed um, Babe Ruth and then Barry Bonds over overdid him. So somebody back in one era doesn't have the you know, what would Babe Ruth have done with the technology of the bats that they have today? what would Gretzky have done with the stick technology, with the fiberglass sticks, and that would have increased his slap shot. That would have increased his puck handling ability. Uh, how many more times? How many more goals would he have gotten? It would, it would totally change the sport. So uh, to me, it's really hard to compare records with each of
0: the technologies and the, each of the areas that are you're going through. My final words on the story, and to ask you, we've talked about like money in sports, PEDs. Do you think there is a correlation between those two? Like when we started getting more money in sports, people felt the pressure to perform better, so they took drugs, performance enhancing drugs. Do you think that's a positive? Absolutely. I, I think that the bigger sports become,
1: the more money that's in there. There's more of a grab to people to be in that. And by that, you know, do whatever it takes to get to the top. And unfortunately, performance enhancing drugs will always come before hard work. Someone always wants to take that easier way
0: um, of maybe spending five hours in the gym instead of 10 hours. All right. Are you ready to jump into our final news story of the day? I am ready. You, you said you, we were going to disagree a lot. We haven't done too many disagreements, <laughs> but maybe on a story about disagreements, we will disagree. This is from Aeon Magazine, which, by the way, I highly recommend this magazine. Very, very good magazine. There is no middle ground for deep disagreements about facts. Consider this, friends of the program. Frank and Gita both see a bird in the garden. Frank believes the bird to be a finch. Geeta believes the bird to be a sparrow. When they go to pass the, along the information to the other, what response should be expected? If Frank or Geeta's response was, well, I saw it as a finch or a sparrow, you must be wrong, then that would be irrationally stubborn and annoying. Instead, both should become less confident in their judgment. When learning of our differences with fellow citizens, the open-minded and intellectual humble person is willing to consider changing his or her mind for a desired response. But since our disagreements on a societal level are much more complex, they can require a little bit different response. The form that most societal disagreements take is called deep disagreement. This form of disagreement arises when we not only disagree about individual facts, as in the Frank and Gita situation, but also disagree about how to form beliefs about those facts and how to gather and assess evidence in proper ways. For example, take the case of those who sincerely deny climate change. Climate skeptics have insulated themselves from any evidence that would otherwise be rationally compelling. Once the structure for the disagreement has been identified, there's no further argument that can be made to convince the other side because there's no method or procedure for conducting inquiry that both sides can agree upon. You become stuck in a deep disagreement. Deep disagreements are, in a sense, irresolvable. It's not that the climate deniers are incapable of following the other side's arguments or is generally insensitive to evidence. Rather, they have a set of beliefs that insulate them from the very sort of evidence that would be crucial for showing them to be mistaken. We cannot, it seems, both fully respect others regard them as intelligent and sincere, and still be fully convinced that we are right and they are completely wrong, unless we agree to disagree. But, on a societal level, we can't do that, since ultimately some decisions are needed to be made between two opposing parties. But, why in a world full of information do we disagree? It's because we use our cognition to support factual beliefs or values that are central to our identity, particularly in situations where we feel that we are threatened. This causes us to seek evidence in ways that support our worldview, we remember supportive evidence better, and we are much less critical of it. By asserting your belief that climate change is a myth, you signal your allegiance to a particular moral, cultural, and ideological community. Because of this, we find it harder to fully respect our fellow citizen when we disagree on factual matters. Uh, Dad, the author talks about values being central to our identity in this story before we discuss the middle ground of disagreement, do you believe there is a middle ground of identity? I think
1: your core values are your core values.
0: You can always
1: change. There's always that chance that what you believe in isn't necessarily the greatest thing in the world, but you're influenced by your, your upbringing, by your current status, by what everything is around you. Your difference in how your day goes might influence what your core values are of that day until I guess people understand that there probably is two sides to every story and that they should not only understand that there are two sides but understand why they think something not just a jump in and say I believe this without any rationality behind there that that's kind of a thing that
0: you got to decide every day. Your opinion can change every day right or wrong it can change every day i do think it's important that you look at your identity every day there could be something that happens in the world that can completely change our ideals of what we believe in like take 9 11 for example we had this idea that we're fine with this community and then 9 11 happens and even though the muslim community may not have been responsible for these people we still took out hatred on the Muslim community mm-hmm. because our ideals changed. Were they right? No, but this events happened and it changed on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and it's the same way after, you know, when World War Two started
1: and we put the Japanese in internment camps. Some of these people were born here and were just amazing people who you know owned businesses and and just because of their nationality we decided to put them in camps and punish them for something that they didn't even do i think the human mind works in very mysterious ways and we have to work each and every day to keep some of our more
0: irrational thoughts and insecurities of our own self from coming out and if something i talked about i think it's a really good to be vulnerable but you also have to realize where that vulnerability ends like I can say I feel this certain way but that might be a very radical thought and that might not always be accepted and just because you believe it doesn't mean it'll always be accepted so you have to kind of you know it's totally fine to be vulnerable but also realize there comes a time where like you can't just go to your friend and be like I'm very vulnerable with you because they may not know how to accept that and you have to be okay realizing that there's a limit to vulnerability and it needs to, like working out, you can't just start off with 250 pounds on the bench press if you've never bench pressed before. You have to work your way up and mm-hmm. be comfortable in taking that time, even though you may be uncomfortable during that time. And it, and it comes, you know, I, I grew up
1: in a very beautiful house and on a, an incredible street, but I also grew up you know, with a slight racist mentality. I didn't have the diversity that others do now. Growing up in schools, you know, it was predominantly white students, um, white teachers, um, and it wasn't until junior high where there were any diversity in in my classrooms. I was very ignorant about other races and and how they grew up and and you hold on a certain part of you that is, is very ignorant about everything that's going on around you except for your little bubble that you lead into. Sometimes it, people don't change and sometimes people grow up and understand and learn about everybody
0: else. and and see that a person as a person it's you know one of those things that people follow love like you grew up in a very white dominated community so mm-hmm. that's what you knew that's what you're comfortable with when this article mentioned like climate change deniers they're going to be around people that think the same way they think because that's what's comfortable to them that's you know where the love is that's where the community is that's where they feel like they belong So, obviously they're gonna believe what that community believes. They're gonna be like, I see you have evidence that says that climate change is real, but all of my people that support me and love me say it isn't, so I'm gonna follow them rather than just a complete stranger. Which is, you know, I'm unfortunately one of those people that don't totally
1: believe in, you know, climate. You know, I, I believe that it has changed dramatically because of humans and what we're doing to destroy the planet. But I also think that you can't totally 100% judge on a planet that's billions of years old, that it already hasn't cycled through this. So I, I know there's so many things with climate change that says that this is happening and we're the cause of it, which there is no doubt that we're a part of the cause. But I don't think that we're 100% of the cause. No, By, I all, d- by all means, we are a big cause of what's happening on this planet. But still, I I believe that there's still a part of, you know, the evolution of the planet that that is happening too.
0: I mean, I think that's a very valid opinion, and I think that falls into more of that, like, Frank and Jita discussion where you're able to at least find common ground and realize we are doing something that affects it, but I'm not completely there, whereas you get into deep disagreements where you're like, no, it's... This is completely my opinion, and I can't find common ground. and at least you can find common ground. There should always be common ground. You should always be able to listen to
1: somebody else's point. And as long as they are able to explain it and not just say, that's just because that's how I feel. Um, If they can explain it, you should be able to listen to them, and you should be able to find common ground within each of those conversations. You can't drive behind someone in a car and they have a Trump sticker on the back and immediately hate that person because they have a Trump sticker. You don't know if that person just bought that car. You don't know if it's their parent's car or you know, or if the parents are driving their kid's car. You don't know that. Parents and kids can have totally different ideas about what's going on. And just by driving them back from you see a Trump sticker and instantly, you know, some people are want to flip on the finger and hate them. And um, the same thing if they see a Bernie Sanders sticker. On the other hand, everybody will think one thing. Well, maybe it's not their car. Maybe yeah. they're just borrowing
0: it, or maybe they just bought it or something. It's that's like the panhandler story. Like, yeah, it's only a five to ten second interaction. You don't know the full. Yeah, and and people will make an instant judgment at that
1: point. You probably won't find common ground because that person's already made their judgment about you, and they're unwilling to probably sit down and even ask you what your opinion is and why you feel that way to be able to find that middle ground.
0: Well, Why do you think it's so difficult to entertain the idea that there is evidence out there that doesn't support your beliefs and values? I think for every point out there, there's
1: a counterpoint. You can take any news story and say it's a glass half full, glass half empty. There's always two sides to it, so you can either believe one way about the data or I believe it says something totally different. Everybody will look at it differently. Um, with the climate change, people, scientists can look at the data of how this, you can peel apart a mountain and look at the different layers of sediment and how floods have affected it and how volcano ash has affected it, and the difference in each layer might say something totally different. You can have another scientist look at it, that believe something totally different. So even though the evidence is clear for both people, and both people are professionals in,
0: on the subject, they can have different views on how it was done or what might have affected it. I think I mentioned in the first story, but like the motivation, what is the scientist's motivation for getting to that conclusion? For example, let's take abortion. I'm someone who's pro-choice because I believe, you know, a woman should have choice on her body. Constitutionally, it says it's okay. But then you look at someone who's pro-life and there are counterarguments to that that are just as valid. And those people that have that motivation for believing that, they're not wrong in that motivation. That's just what they believe to be right, and it's not okay for me to say that's wrong because you just have different motivations for why you believe something to be true. Sure, and and you know with that you can take, you know, um, an unwanted
1: pregnancy where someone does get an abortion. Maybe it was a point where you know it would affect the woman's life dramatically, which it's her right. It's her body. It's her right. But I also have a problem with maybe that the man that got her pregnant, maybe he was ready to be a father. Maybe that was his one chance, and he wanted to be able to have a child, and he gets no right in that. So there is, you know, you you get that balance on what can be right and what can be wrong. Um, and people should be able to come and say, you know, together going, I understand your point, and I see it. I might not agree with it, but I understand and see it. And, and that's the tough thing. People just have to be able to listen to that there are always two sides to everything on how people
0: think. Well, yeah, and when you have two completely different motivations for believing something and then there's conflict with those motivations, yeah, you're going to obviously disagree. But being able to say, you know, yes, I'm pro-choice, but yeah, I, I get some of the arguments that pro-life says. But I'm able to find that common ground, and I think there are people out there that— aren't willing to. I think you have to be very willing to say I'm a little bit wrong to find that middle ground. And I think a lot of people are saying like, if I you know, was in a situation where I was like, oh yeah, I'm wrong about this. There would be people out there that would take advantage of that and saying, well, if you're going to give an inch, I'm going to take a mile and kind of force it's, it's you true. into and, what and I believe. People at a time, they believe what they believe
1: and don't want to listen to other people because they're afraid that they're going to lose that, uh, idea that they have in their head. People are afraid of change. People are really afraid to know that maybe their opinion isn't the right one. Or maybe their opinion is right, but there's things that they can do to tweak it a little bit and, and help out in, in certain areas. And there's some people out there that they need to hear that other view so that they can make a better decision. If you're always going
0: to be on the left-hand side and never look on the right, you're never gonna experience what the right can give you. It it's very hard to be wrong, especially in something that you I wou- do have strong beliefs. I and wouldn't like, know. Um. <laughs> but like even in this episode, I've been wrong on like two things. But it took me what you know twenty seven episodes, almost two years of doing this to get to a point where I'm comfortable in saying I am wrong yeah. and having it out there in the world that I'm. My name is Adam Schultz, and sometimes I'm wrong, and that's okay. But I think a lot of people aren't to that point they're to the point where i don't want to be wrong because that's very uncomfortable to be wrong and it's very uncomfortable for someone to for to believe in something and believe in something for most of the time your whole life and then someone comes along and says that's wrong and it's like hmm, is it though but really it be wrong but you just haven't gotten to the point where you can address that you are wrong i can say for myself that
1: i never thought i was wrong I always thought it was I was right, and no matter what I thought and said was, was how it should be, and it took a lot of mistakes and, um, you know, hurting a few people in my life to
0: understand how important it is to see the other side. Everyone has that. I wasn't just born knowing that I was going to be wrong. Like, yeah, I also did that same thing where there were plenty of times where I thought I was right and I had that confidence that I was like, of course I'm right, I've done the research. But yeah, it's like, where was that research coming from? Probably for someone who believes the same thing I believe in, did they address the other side? Probably not, so I just had that confidence that I had the research, I was right. And then yeah, you do end up hurting people and messing up relationships, because you're uncomfortable stepping back and taking a look at what your opinion actually is. Fortunately, now I have a lot of friends that have very very different
1: opinions on things than i do and being able to talk to them and find common ground because you listen to them you listen to and you listen to the people that know the facts and believe one way and being able to talk to them and have a rational discussion about the differences in what you believe a lot of times i'm not going to change my opinion but there are times that i listen and it says to me Hey, I'm gonna look this up myself, and I'm gonna read more about it, so that I'm able to give a better judgment or a better opinion on how I feel. I can read what they're putting out and judge for myself instead of just read what you know my side's putting out and what I believe. It gives me a better chance to to understand where they're coming from and where I'm coming from too. It either really strengthens my beliefs
0: where it makes me search and find a better solution. You know, something I've always said since, you know, first starting in the podcasting realm in 2013 is listen and educate yourself. I mean, those are, when you talk about how can people become more understanding of disagreement, it's like, yeah, listen to them, take what they say, And then do your own research on that. And if it sways you to change your opinion, it sways you to change your opinion. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But at least you're giving that other side. I mean, there are things like, you know, if there's like a radical beliefs, I mean, there's things that you can be like, "Mm, I'm okay with that. But when things are like, like the abortion issue, if there's, you know, valid points on the other side, I think it's important to take a listen to that. With climate change, obviously... You know, you have valid opinions for what you believe. I have valid opinions for what I believe, but that doesn't mean either of us are wrong. So I'm willing to take the time to listen to you and be like, oh, okay, let me look that up for myself and see if that changes my opinion at all. That's fantastic. I totally understand that.
1: That's, and that's the way I think people should be. People should be understanding of other people's opinions without it making them go nuts. It's not worth fighting over. It's not worth screaming over. It's not worth slamming something down and walking away. People's opinions are people's opinions. And as long as you can understand that it's their opinion and that it's not, you know, something that's going to harm you, then why does it matter so much? It might make you mad for a while, but maybe it's time to look into what they feel and what they're talking about and make your own decisions after that, not just hate them because they're they support this or they support that it's maybe it's time for everybody to start listening a little bit more maybe it's time for schools to start teaching tolerance and acceptance instead of pushing against it there should be classes maybe there should be people speaking out more on understanding that everybody does have
0: a view instead of my view is right and yours is wrong I think those are very good words to end on there. All right, Dad, thank you for taking the time to share your perspective about some of the strangest and most interesting news stories the world has to offer in a fun and meaningful discussion. I'm very proud to be able to call myself uh, your son. I I, I do thank you for giving me the space to grow into the person I am, even if it was in a very unorthodox way and maybe not the way you originally thought it would go. But I thank you for that, and I know Josh would thank you for that and I just giving us the support even if you don't always feel like you're giving the support to allow us to be the men we are today because I think you know we're both very amazing people doing amazing things in the world and allowing me to at least feel comfortable in being a man and being okay with who I am as a man and allowing myself to be vulnerable to a global audience in this podcasting space so I thank you for that. Wow. Thank you. I think that you are an incredible man and that
1: you have done a fantastic job. I am very proud of you. Proud of your brother, too. And yeah, on the podcast, I'll say you're my favorite. But when I'm over there, I'll tell him he's my favorite, too. But both of you are the most incredible gift I've ever gotten in my life. So...
0: Uh, One of the topics I've been covering more recently in the podcast is the ideal of male vulnerability and its association with, like, the parental generations. So now having a chance to be in a situation where you can take from your father and his father and then your son and obviously Wyatt and Josh's son, how have you seen male vulnerability change throughout the generations? I think through culture and
1: technology, things have changed dramatically. My grandfather, my dad's father came over on a boat from Poland and immigrated to the United States and then immediately joined the war to go back over and fight against, you know, the Germans that invaded his home of Poland. His values were old world, European, which my father rebelled quite a bit against. And he grew up his own way. My my dad was a basketball star and he was in Korea and us three boys that grew up, we were raised differently. Um, my oldest brother, Gary, was born with diabetes, so things were handled differently around the house. And me and Joe, we were more into sports, and uh, sports dominated the dominated the house because that's what my father was into. And then as a parent myself, I was a lot into sports, and I think that, that dominated a lot of um, years and josh's upbringing you know at this point with with how culture is each of us has learned a different thing of how to bring our kids up and i hope when you have kids that you'll have your own style and you'll have everything that you've wanted it's a tough thing to raise a child because there's no playbook that says how you're supposed to raise them? I agree with some people on how to raise their kids, and I disagree with some ways. There's no way to tell you once that that little child is born and you hold them in your arms, how you're going to raise it. You want to do your best, and you try to do your best, but you know, listening to your parents gives you one idea, but it's your own ideas in the end on how you raise them. You got to listen to your kids. You got to be firm with them, but you also got to listen to them and, and help them out. You got to nurture them into doing what they want, not what you
0: want. All right. Anyways, thank you for all my listeners for listening to another episode of Water Cooler Talk, the only such podcast on the internet hosted by myself and guest hosted today by my father, Daniel Schultz, where we take the strangest and most interesting real life news stories from around the world and just try and have a good old conversation about some of the ideas discussed in those bizarre news stories. Once again, if you'd like to reach out to the show with a strange local news story or If you just want to share some of your own comments, you can do so at watercoolertalkpod at gmail.com. Dad, you are a listener of the show. You know how these shows end, so (laughs) I will pass the floor to you. I just want to say thank you. I've really enjoyed myself.
1: I'm sorry it took 20-something episodes for me to be on. I'd like to have been on a little bit earlier. It's a much finer product now. You got the the good product. (laughs) But I would like to maybe reach out to everybody and tell them that it is important to realize that your opinion isn't always the right opinion and that you should listen to that person next to you without prejudging who they are. They might be in a bad situation or you might be in a bad situation, but that person next to you might end up being your best friend or that person that can offer you a job. So, just because someone has tattoos up and down their arms or um, doesn't look the same that you expect, it doesn't mean that that person
0: isn't as valuable as you are good words from a good man all right guys we will be back next time with another new episode but until then peace this is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world and while many of these stories may seem fake they're absolutely not because they're real Well, jolly be golly, welcome to Corrections Corner, pal. We have some corrections for you. In our first story about Tyler and Chad, I had mentioned that a good percentage of the homeless struggle with some sort of disability. In fact, from the Department of Housing and Urban Development, over two-fifths of America's homeless population have some sort of disability And that number appears to be rising. Listener, if you want to know how to help the homeless in your area, first, educate yourself. We talk about it a lot in this episode. Educate yourself about the issues and why it happens. Another way, as we talked about in the episode, treat those you come across with respect. You know, they're just a human that's fallen on hard times. They're just like you. They're just on, you know, a little more hard times. And if you don't feel comfortable giving money, give socks. Giving socks is always a number one need among the homeless community. Also in that episode, my dad mentioned a Supreme Court case regarding panhandling. That case was Reed versus the town of Gilbert in 2015, in which the Supreme Court clarified when a town or local government may impose bans on signage saying it may not be in violation of the First Amendment. In our second story involving the steroid toting lamb, I had mentioned the world having a population of 7.2 or 7.3 billion. As of recording this correction, the world population is 7.7 billion billion. During that story, I also mentioned fluoride being in our water. Apparently that is very common in the U.S. to fight tooth decay, but not so much in other parts of the world. So if you're not from the U.S., send us an email at watercoolertalkpod at gmail.com and let us know if there's fluoride in your drinking water. And then during our discussions on PEDs in sports, LeBron James was mentioned, not for using, but for having a gifted physique. As a high school senior, LeBron James was 6'8", Six feet eight inches and weighed 240 pounds. And now to compare that to myself, um, as a high school senior, I believe I was somewhere around 5'8 and weighed 140 pounds. So yeah, LeBron James, he, he's a big boy. And then finally, we discuss disgraced MLB stars who have been caught using illegal steroids not making into the Hall of Fame, and Alex Rodriguez's name came up. Alex Rodriguez isn't eligible for the Hall of Fame until 2022, so it'll be interesting to see if he makes it into the Hall or not compared to the other players who are eligible and have that tag on their name. That's another Correction Corner. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to another episode of Water Cooler Talk. I'm so very thankful you are part of our community. I'm so very thankful for your support. And to 2020, here we come. And hopefully, I guess by 2022, we'll be uh, inducted into the Podcasting Hall of Fame alongside Mr. Rodriguez. So, that's your corrections, that's your episode, so get out of here! This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not. Because they're real.